Welcome to Subscribing to Wellness, the show where Rachel Newman and myself, Daniel Fairman, sit down with leading founders, executives, and investors committed to building a healthier future for consumers. Today's episode is brought to you in partnership with Athletic Greens. I started taking AG1 because I wanted to see what the hype was all about. Now, I literally can't miss a day. It's the first thing I put in my body every single morning. As someone who suffers from IBS, AG1 has completely improved my gut health and allows me to have sustained energy throughout the day. And since I'm always on the go, the travel packs make it so easy to stay consistent wherever I am. Love it. I've personally been taking AG1 for a while. And as someone who lacked a multivitamin routine, AG1 has been the perfect product to mix into my morning routine. Truthfully, I was a skeptic at first as I'm with most supplements and vitamins, but I've felt noticeably better at the start of morning workouts and definitely have seen an improvement in my digestive health. I tend to mix my AG1 with two tablespoons of lemon juice and coconut water, and it's delicious. Right now, it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition. It's just one scoop in a cup of water every day. That's it. No need for a million different pills and supplements to look out for your health. And to make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash STW. Again, that is athleticgreens.com slash STW to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Today on Subscribing to Wellness, we are joined by co-founder and CEO of Graza, Andrew Benin. We talked to Andrew right from where it all started, Spain. Graza is a high-quality olive oil that is meant to be squeezed, not saved. Yes, you heard us. It comes in a squeezable bottle. Easy to squeeze right into a pan to cook with or as a drizzle to finish off any great dish. We unpack the olive oil industry with Andrew and better understand what we all get wrong about high-quality olive oil. Andrew, welcome to the show. Hey, Rachel. I'm so pumped to be here. I am so excited to have you here. And I know we were just trying to know this before we started recording, but you are in where Graza was founded. You are sitting in Spain right now as we chat. Um, And... Maybe if you could just give a little context on what is Graza and and who you are. Yeah. Oh, man. It is cool to be where it all started. It's refreshing. Um, I don't know. Graza is made to be used olive oil, I guess, is like the best way to put it. It is kind of top-notch olive oil in like a really friendly, fun-to-use format. I think it just makes everyone kind of feel like a, a line cook at home. Um, and I'm Andrew, um, one of the founders of Graza. Um, my co-founder right now is, uh, really doing all the hard work back in New York, fulfilling all of our fair orders. Uh, if you're not on fair, go on fair. It is so cool. Um, and, and yeah, we started Graza because, I don't know, we felt like this whole category was hyper romanticized and, super bougie and very similar like Tuscan olive branch and single batch 
small family estate kind of vibe. Um, and that is so not how it is here in Spain. Like uh, it is like you made for being used every single day, price right, really amazing quality. And uh, that's kind of the vibe we wanted to bring um, to, to customers in the States. Like it's no longer just burrata and heirloom tomatoes. It's like pancakes and fried fish and whatever the hell you want to do, you know? So you touched on so many things that I want to dig into. First is that this is, it's like, it's Graz is an approachable olive oil to make you kind of feel like that line cook at home. I think what sets Graza apart from any other olive oil I know of is its form factor, which you kind of touched on. And for those listening, Graza comes in a squeezable bottle, which I don't know of any other olive oil that comes in a squeezable bottle other than like sriracha like condiments wise like sriracha or you know like a yuzu sauce but i don't know i mean i don't have anything in my cupboard that is like an olive oil in a squeezable bottle so i think that to me so where did that idea come from because i think form factor as we talk about it in the consumer space is sometimes it, i mean it's plays just as important a role as the actual product itself yeah i mean i think i think when you see a video of our product you're just like oh I know what to do. Like, it's kind of like where you get it in the mail. You're like, I get it. Like I twist it open and I squeeze it. It's, it's like such passive behavior change. I love it. Um, uh, where did it come from? Like I was a cook and I definitely wish that I was like, oh, when I was on the line, I remembered the squeeze bottle and I wanted to start a company. Like that is so not what happened. Um, uh, honestly, I don't even think I've said this story before, but I was truly like in the shower with a Dr. Bronner's bottle. And I was like, oh my God. And then I jumped out of the shower and, and washed out the Dr. Bronner's bottle, which is so hard to do actually. Like it is one of the hardest bottles to get all the soap out of. And I filled it up with a bunch of olive oil and I squeezed it into a pan. And I was like, oh my God, this is it. Like, why, like this is it. It was off to the races. Um, and you know fast forward like we had to like design our own molds it is so not easy to get olive oil into a squeeze bottle just, it'd be the same thing as going to like bordeaux and be like can you put this red wine in a squeeze bottle for me they'd be like you can go f off <laughs> right now yeah yeah so that so, is wild yeah. see yeah. the good old the good old shower ideas they always come through they always come through <laughs> It's true though, you know, it's not, it's not made up. It's true. It's crazy. It is true. So I think what I want to like unpack a little bit is I think the olive oil landscape, you you're in Spain and, and you definitely mentioned that, you know, the way we consume olive oil in the United States is very different than how it's consumed, especially in different parts of Europe and yeah. how it's cooked with why, like what made you want to bring that sort of like feeling to the United States and how do you think Graza is really making a dent into the space in like a new way? Do you think it's through mm. like your marketing, your messaging, branding, or do you think it really has to do with that form factor? Well, I'd say like, I actually feel like you can't bring a feeling over. I feel like that's what a lot of people want to do. And when they go to Southern Europe, they're like, oh, like the dinner table. And I was drinking you know, Lambrusco with my friends in Italy on this boat in Sicily. And just like that, you can't bring that feeling because one, most people will never actually get to do that. 
like we're the few and fortunate that maybe can. Um, so it was never about bringing the feeling, even though there was a feeling behind it. Like I saw my wife's mom cook liberally with delicious olive oil. And like, that's a feeling for me, but I'm not here to sell that feeling to other people. I really think all we did was bring a quality product at the right price um, and then put it in a form factor that people get excited about that is functional and easy to use and fun at the same time and opaque and protects the oil. And like, yeah, the brand is awesome, but really what's driving Graza is product market fit. Uh, um, and it's like what you learn in undergrad business. You don't have to get your MBA to learn about product market fit. And, um, and we have it. Uh, it's just this intersection between quality and price and approachability. Uh, is there. Yeah. I think it's interesting because there has been a recent, um, in the last, I don't know, five or so years of more brands emerging in this category. Um, we've seen Brightland, we've seen, you know, Pineapple Collaborative, Acid Leak has an olive oil. How are you guys differentiating yourselves in this like competitive landscape, I would say? Um, I mean, rising tide lifts all boats. I feel like as a disclaimer, have to say it, like anyone who started any company in any category, like good on you. It's the hardest thing to do ever, um, at least to this point in my life. Um, but I'd say that like fundamentally we are a olive oil company and we're focused and the, you know, it's different. Like we're not a modern pantry staples brand and we don't want to be um, like, we are committed to our core products um, and that dictates our strategy, our purchasing approach, our marketing mix, um, everything that we do. Uh, um, so we don't really associate ourselves as a lifestyle brand in a sense. Like we are just really good olive oil at the right price, hopefully available everywhere. Like, I think that's kind of what differentiates us. And then probably our channel approach, realistically, like we were retail first, we always pitch retail and uh, like, it's not even a D to C thing um, because every single D to C company is pitching themselves as an omni-channel company now because that's what people want to hear. It truly was like, a priority to be in retail first um and and yeah we're, we're we're having like the best time ever at whole foods um and a bunch of other awesome retailers so i don't know being channel agnostic probably helped from the beginning no that definitely makes sense i think it's so true what you said because so like like these other brands they're doing amazing stuff i'm big fans of all of them um, but they're definitely pantry companies. Um, and you yeah. guys more remind me of like, you know, the Mudwaters or the Athletic Greens of the world where you're right now a single skew company or you have your your two your two products. But like in, in the fact that you you're very hyper hyper focused in what you're selling. Um, and I also think your point to, you know, this retail first people aren't really bought like olive oil isn't really the type of thing people are going to buy online. Um, you buy olive oil and you're buying your food. And most of the time that's fresh food and people are buying fresh food like in a grocery store and they like to see it and feel yeah. it. I'd yeah. love to touch on um, 
since I, I'm going to call you like olive oil king over here, because I'm assuming you know the most about olive oil, at least compared to yeah. me, and it's the two of us here. Um, what do most people like get wrong about olive oil? Like, there's so much out there of like extra virgin olive oil, and you go to like Italian grocer stores in the States, and you can taste like 35,000 different olive oils and whatever. Like, yeah. What do people not understand? Like, what are some common misconceptions that that we can like break about olive oil? Oh, we could go on for the next like half hour. Okay, like common ones. Yeah, everything that I say now like has some proof behind it. I'm gonna reserve myself. I'm not gonna say things that I think are a bit more contentious. Like rancid this word like comes out all the time with olive oil like realistically the north american olive oil council like has done an amazing job over the past 20 years of making sure that like uh olive oils that are cut with other oils or rancid or musty or this or that like those are really far and few between in the marketplace um but what there is is a lot of old oil because the only way you can drive costs down uh, is by dumpster diving in the marketplace. So these are commodity traders that are going to every single country that produces olive oil pretty much, which is Spain, Greece, Italy, France, Argentina, Chile, Tunisia, Morocco, Australia, uh, Croatia, like it goes on and on and on. And seeing what technically qualifies as extra virgin um but what's the lowest price um um and that's like what has created this kind of like buying group environment where there's a bunch of brands but they're all kind of using the same buying group and they're all kind of selling the same product it's a mediterranean blend um and there is no functional consumer benefit to doing that all there is is actually a trade of oils that while they might still qualify as extra virgin when there's an organoleptic analysis, uh, like they are not good for you. Now this is where it gets a little contentious because like they're not bad for you either, but you're buying olive oil because you want to invest in a cooking fat that like has antioxidants, has polyphenols, has all these buzzwords that make you feel like you're gonna live forever um, and taste like something. Um, if your olive oil doesn't taste like something, if it is like neutral in a sense, like that is a massive concern because all you need to do is chew on an olive off a tree and you're like, okay, that's what it tastes like. And that's what your oil should taste like. Um, so to answer your question, blending is bad. Like if you see made in X or like Mediterranean X or Spanish olive oil or whatever, and you flip it around, and on the like uh, lot code information, there's like contains oil from countries like GR, Greece, IT, Italy, SP, Spain, TN, Tunisia. Like it is a complete marketing ploy of like, this is Mediterranean, so it's good. But really these oils are from all over the world have been shipped in balloon containers all over the world to one facility that aggregates it, empties it out from these balloon containers, mixes it up and then puts it in these little bottles for you. That is like, so not what Graza does. Graza literally buys oil, we press it, we bring it to our bottling facility, we pack it and that's it. It's literally from tree to bottle, which I don't want that to get confused with like single estate, small, like 
treat a bottle at scale is dope. <laughs> treat a bottle at small scale is also dope, but that's not us. Like we are doing it right, but at a scale that uh, is, I don't know, infinite. Yeah, huge. Um, what, yeah. Other, what, other, what other misconceptions can, can I give you? Oh, like first cold pressed. First cold press is such bullshit because like to qualify as extra virgin, it must be cold pressed, right? First cold pressed makes you feel like it's the first of something, which people get excited about. They're like, I'm getting the first of something. But if your first cold press is at the end of the harvest, you're getting the worst quality oil. If you're first cold press is at the beginning of the harvest, you're getting the best quality oil. So first cold press literally means nothing. The question would be, when is that press? Um, like drizzle is pressed in October. That is like pretty close to this hemisphere's first press. Sizzle is pressed in December. That is not the first cold press. Um, so there's just like a lot of- So many. Oh, also. Also, non-GMO and olive oil is ridiculous because there is no such thing as a GMO <laughs> olive or olive tree, but like it's a cert that everybody wants. Uh, it, it's, it's so funny. Uh, um, anyway, I could, I could go on and on. No, you mentioned something there that I, that I want to unpack because not maybe not everyone is familiar with Graza. So Graza, currently the product pipeline, can you walk me through it? Because you did just mention drizzle and sizzle and I want to unpack the two a little bit. Yeah. Actually, like one of our biggest challenges, even though we think our website explains it pretty clearly, like the difference, like at, at retail, it's a little bit harder, actually. Um, so we have two products. They are both made from the same exact olives, from the same exact trees, from the same exact farms. The only difference between them is when they're harvested and how much oil you get out of those olives when you harvest it. So drizzle is harvested in October. It's our early harvest olive oil. And all that means is that you're gonna get an 11% oleic yield from those olives. They are very immature, they're hard, they're green, and they yield very little oil. But what you do get is a very powerful, uh, they do have higher levels of polyphenol just because they are picked earlier and water hasn't displaced anything. Um, but a very punchy, very like slap you in the face, burn your throat, olive oil, uh, which when you combine it with things like arugula or bread or tomato or other umami or like whatever, it's the best marriage of flavors. And people here kill for that type of oil. They're like, I, like that. you go to your local co-op when they're doing that in Spain, you're like that, like I'm, I'm getting my year's worth of that good stuff. Um, we market it as a finishing oil because when you add heat to olive oil, you do break some of the flavor compounds. Um, uh, so for us, it's kind of a shame in a sense to, to cook with drizzle, but a lot of people do like, and that's totally okay. And a lot of restaurants do um, like the flavor compounds break apart at certain amounts of time, at certain amounts of heat. It's not like, you know, there's a range. Um, some people like the flavor, some people don't like it. So you do you is kind of what we say, but we market it as finishing oil. It's smaller and it's more expensive. Um, our cooking oil is called sizzle. 
um, and that's harvested in December. So just like six weeks after drizzle harvest. And in those six weeks, because of irrigation and some rainfall, you get a 23% yield of oleic acid from the olives. It's, it's a lot more oil and the flavor is much more mellow. I wouldn't call it fruity because this varietal is really never fruity, um, but it's just more mellow. Um, and it's still delicious. Some Michelin star restaurants prefer sizzle over drizzle because I think it works better with their menu. Um, but we market it as a cooking oil. Uh, why? Because it's more affordable. It's more versatile. It's not going to be that like slap you in the face finishing oil vibe. It's truly kind of a Jack Jane of all trades of oil. Um, but it's still single varietal. It's still from one place. Um, and it's still delicious. Um, oh, and yeah. that one's bigger. It's bigger and it costs less. So we have this whole like, why is a small one? cost more than the big one. And we're like, oh, this fly. <laughs> you use it, you use it less. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah um yeah. so you mentioned a couple of things there. Uh one being, you know, restaurants. And I think um we've had a couple of people on the podcast that have touched on their food service angle as being um, you know, one of the quote unquote omnichannel approaches to their expansion as a brand. And I think Graza I mean, before we were talking, you know, you you're in a couple of restaurants, you're in, I don't, I'm assuming lots of restaurants now and you give them massive tubs of olive oil. Has that been a strategy that you guys are employing and how do you go about, you know, selling this to restaurants and that sort of angle of the business? Yeah, I mean, it is awesome business. It like requires most restaurants are actually just going to most, I mean like most in the contiguous United States are just going to go for what's cheapest because they have a tough job managing their bottom line. So we have to like be kind of specific about where our sweet spot in the marketplace is. And obviously now we know that um, we don't have enough oil this year to like open up the floodgates and be like, we're, we're taking over white tablecloth restaurants, but, um, but we love working I mean, yeah, food service, like when you're pitching a business, you're like, oh, we're gonna have another revenue stream from food service, it's super cash flow stable, it's cash flow positive, lower margin, but it's, it's like, realistically, like food service is hard, it requires a specific team, it's very fragmented unless you go to a massive distributor or aggregator, um, and it's very price sensitive. So like new businesses that I think pitched their food service are, are kind of like blown smoke up their own asses. Like yeah. if you're a year and a half, if you're a year and a half in and 50% of your business is food service, like good on you. Um, it's an ambition of ours. We think there's marketing benefits to it, um, but it is, it's not easy at all. Um, but uh, we're in, we're in like 16 restaurants now selling to them in five liter format. We're selling to like four restaurants at wholesale cost of our bottles, depends on what they want to do with it. Um, and the five liter jugs would be so cool to, sell to people's homes uh but olive oil like homogenizes around the worst part of itself um so these big bulk environments like those shops with those stainless steel try this olive oil like that is the worst possible thing you get there's so much oxygen in the headspace like that's going to oxidize in a week um so restaurants we kind of have this like moment where like you're gonna go through this in two days right and they're like, yes. And we're like, great. Here you're like, let's get you started. 
Um, so to touch on that, you actually, you have a subscription model on your website. How many yeah. of your customers, like percentage wise, roughly like employ this model, um, when they're purchasing? A lot. A lot. Yeah. A lot. Uh, a lot percent is what I'll say. That's great. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's awesome. Oh, but no one, like, you just don't know until you have like, I feel like two years of data, what your subscription churn is going to be. But there definitely is a different thoughtfulness of like, oh, like I picked two units every three months. You're like, okay, you seem like you're, you're doing some math, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It probably also takes some trial and error. Um, I yeah. think one of the super unique things about Graza and I'm, I'm guilty of being such a big fan. I guess it's not guilty because it's a positive thing, but um, your guys's newsletter is probably one of my favorite newsletters. And I subscribe to I, it's embarrassing how many newsletters that I subscribe to in my inbox every morning. Um, but I think your newsletter is just the perfect mix of fun and informative and lighthearted and not too long, not too short. It gets to the point. And at the end, you're like, wow, this all came from like a consumer olive oil company. Um, can you kind of like unpack the reasoning slash justification slash intention behind like building this newsletter and maybe walk us through like I mean a lot of it has to do with education and educating the consumer on how do I use this product and here are some amazing recipes but also just like your own word vomiting of that day so maybe like unpack it a little bit um I haven't had to like I haven't had to do that yet so I'm gonna try to um I I like originally got some like you should like you know like be the face of a brand and like you know people want to hear about the founding story and entrepreneurship is so exciting in America and Shark Tank and I I don't really resonate with all of that that much I actually feel like the story is kind of overtold unless you're actually coming from a marginalized community where like you really did something special you know um, so. I didn't want to do that. Um, but at the same time, the newsletter uh, is just honesty. Like that, that is the best way to put it. It's not consistently about business updates. It's not consistent. It's just like, it's just honesty of our inner team. Not honesty in the sense of like, what's your book of the month in a sense, like everybody drops their book in. Um, it's just what's going on, what we're feeling. Usually there's an acknowledgement that like our lives are difficult and stressful right now and yours probably are too. Like, let's just laugh at this together. Um, and I think that resonates really well with people. Um, and then the recipe side of it is intentional. Like we were like, we want to be a want to be like king arthur you know like they they really have their shit together when it comes to recipes and everything's tested but they're not like too foo-foo you know um so the recipes are, are a big part and we have a budget for for making them you know um and uh yeah i love that newsletter like i, I love writing it it's it's so amazing yeah well know that other people love it too. So your hard work and go, like does not go unnoticed. And I think 
it's actually so refreshing and nice to hear that you as a company has like a budget line item for recipe development and like how can we and educating the consumer is a huge part of your guys's marketing and educating the consumer in your case is like how do we teach people to make an amazing apple crumble this week using our olive oil or like you know yeah. something like that and i think people um it obviously depends on the consumer product but so many times people are like this product looks amazing or i want to eat that but they're like how i don't know what to use it in or i don't know how to use it or or whatever it is and i think really using the newsletter slash your social channels to show what it's used for is so helpful like goes yeah. so helpful yeah i think we wrote like in our last newsletter like don't just like doom scroll recipes like stop and make one you know like it's like that type of acknowledgement because like you think sometimes as like a culinary company that works you're like why are we even doing this is it to get eyeballs or is it to like actually teach someone how to make hummus you know right um so i don't know we have that in our minds and uh and i don't know grazo no, like wants it, to, yeah grazo, grazo wants to be your friend it doesn't want to sell you olive oil, even though it does, right? And I think this like kind of triangulation is is what's fueling our our growth. Yeah. Um, I want to hit you with some quick fire questions. Super random questions. Whatever comes to mind, you hit them back, right? Yeah. All right. You got it. Favorite way to use Graza. I love putting drizzle on labna. I think it's like Labna itself is amazing and drizzle on top of Labna is amazing. Plus, I like take shots of drizzle. I do it. I really do. I really do. Best party trick. Best party trick. I love that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Favorite restaurant in New York. Yeah. Oh, come on. Like, I would I have to say one that we sell to. Okay. Favorite like restaurant, like $20 plus mains, but it's gonna be the best night ever is four horsemen for sure um favorite restaurant that's like in an obscure part of the city uh is tashi's Beiti uh on coney island ave and avenue p it's a turkish restaurant oh wow never yeah. heard of it um go to lunch uh go to lunch um usually like a homemade salad you know like still find the time to just like put it together sometimes i cheat in a sense and just put a bunch of ricotta cheese in there and all of a sudden it's not a salad it's like this really tasty thing it's a ricotta um, cheese salad <laughs> it's a ricotta cheese salad um a salad yeah, doesn't have to have lettuce in it that's a common misconception <laughs> yeah yeah arugula is my favorite green though i love it it's so spicy um, so there's like some arugula, some ricotta, some sun gold tomatoes, and some drizzle, and we're we're off and running. Love that, love that. Um, we like to ask all of our guests how they subscribe to wellness. So, mm -hmm. what are some things that you do on a daily, weekly basis that makes you the best version of yourself, be able to show up for your family, for Graza, etc. <laughs> It's so weird having to answer that question because I actually like, I don't have an answer. Like I, I am not doing enough for my wellness. And if you are doing enough for your wellness, good on you. 
you should celebrate yourself is what I'll say. Um, I just like, I, I'm, I'm in the mode, like I'm persevering. I'm just going. Um, and I find time. I, I now like television. I didn't used to like television. And like, I've learned to just enjoy the melt. Um, and just like watch an episode of Seinfeld with my wife and just like giggle. Um, and that's okay. Like, I don't have to do anything or be anywhere. Like, that's a version of my wellness. That, we have a dog, take her for a walk. It's really nice. And uh, I think, and, and, and I love seeing friends, like just like being silly with friends, you know? You know, I love that honesty. I think a lot of times, I mean, um, so many people often are like, yeah, I wake up and I go for a run or I work out or I, you know, drink my greens or whatever, whatever they say. And like, I'm sure they do those things and it makes them the best version of themselves. But like, you know, we're living in this, this crazy flipping world and so much is going on and, you know, you might not be doing a lot for yourself. So like, that's okay too. And just recognizing, you know, where you're at and also being able to show up the best for Gaza, like you're doing a pretty kick-ass job in my opinion. So like, you know, it, it, it's so different for everyone. And I think, um, understanding that there's like no judgment there. I appreciate your honesty. Yeah. I like, I, my wellness is knowing that I get to work in my dream industry, you know, like I get to sell something that's tasty and healthy. That's yeah. cool. Yeah. It's really cool. You know. Um, Andrew, thank you so much for your time today. Oh my goodness. It was so much fun. Um, and it was nice to be here and I feel, I feel a motivation to be, to be more well to myself. <laughs> Amazing. We'll talk soon. Thanks everyone for listening to today's episode. Feel free to rate review and share the podcast. And of course, don't forget to subscribe to wellness. If you'd like to sponsor us, please see the supporter link in our podcast bio. We hope everyone has a great rest of week filled with wellness and we'll see you next time. Thank you.